your Bibles to, to the book of Matthew chapter 7. I'll meet you there in just a little bit. Since God's word tells us that Christ is all. Three weeks ago I preached about that from Colossians chapter 3. And if I could preach only one sermon, I'd preach about Christ. When I say about Christ, I mean his person and his work who he is, and what he has done. And that's not only the need of the hour, that has been and will continue to be man's greatest need throughout all of history. And sadly, we live in a day where much of the preaching is not truly Christ-centered because just using his name occasionally during the message does not mean that we are preaching Christ. And every preacher's great desire should be based on what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 24, that they may behold my glory. If that's not my purpose this morning, I ought to quit and do something honest. But to behold his glory in heaven, people must first of all see something of his glory here on earth and that demands that they hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ after they've heard the gospel and been saved the Bible tells us that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ but that's not possible unless Christ is is preached continually and Paul got it right when he said to the church at Corinth I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's His person. That's His work. And you could say that Paul had only one sermon, and that one sermon was Christ. Now, I realize that there are a lot of verses in the Bible that do not speak directly of Christ, but even those verses must be considered in the light of the larger context, the full context of the Bible, and it all relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when it comes to God's Word, it's all about Christ. And today, I want, I want to speak to you on the subject, the little short phrase, on Christ. And there's a lot that could be said about it, but for time's sake, I want to focus on what is written here in Matthew 7, beginning in verse number 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This is a very simple story about a serious subject. It's the story of two men one who is wise and one who is foolish. There are two foundations. One is rock and the other is sand. There are two houses. One stood and the other fell. 
to see the importance of this, I want you to notice what precedes it back in, in verses 21 through 23. And the last verse before our text, verse 23 here, we read the very worst words that anyone could ever hear where Jesus said to a group, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so all of that leads to this parable about the house built upon a rock. Two foundations. One is a faulty foundation. The other is a firm foundation. And from this simple story, we're reminded that the structure depends upon the solidity of the foundation. By the way, everyone's life is built upon something. Every one of us. Some build on the vain notion that they know what's best. They don't, they don't need the wisdom of God's Word. They don't need the counsel of other people. In their mind, they've, they've just determined, I, I know what I ought to do with my life, and that's exactly what they do. Others tap in to some vain philosophy of somebody that they respect. It might be a philosopher that died 200 years ago, but someone that they admire greatly. And because of that, maybe because of his literary skills or whatever the reason might be, they begin to pattern their life after a person like that. Others, of course, base everything on what makes them appear to be successful in the world. That's the basis, the foundation of their life. Everything they do is built upon that. I want to be noticed as being a great success in this world. Others care nothing about possessions and pleasures and things of that nature, but they are deeply concerned about popularity, and so they just follow the crowd. And then there's that group of people who assume that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Nothing really matters and so you might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die like a dog and go back to the dust of the earth and that's going to end it all. And that's the way they think and that's the way they live. So what they do is based upon that. But the Lord tells us here in our text that the wise builder builds his house upon a good foundation. Every builder knows the importance of that. Brother Barry Farr uh, has probably built more church buildings uh, in, uh, around this area than anybody else. He's been doing that for years. And he could tell you that if it's not built on a good foundation, uh, you're, you're defeated before you even start. There's got to be a good foundation. If not, all of the time, all of the money, all of the effort spent is in vain. And nothing is wasted whenever it is when it's invested in a good foundation because everything else is going to depend upon that. And it's never more true than it is when it comes to life itself. And you need to stop this morning and think, what are you building your life upon? Now remember, last week as I started this new series, the, the title of the message was Through Christ. And I said that through Christ we receive a revelation. He reveals to us what God is and what man ought to be. We receive through Christ redemption. We receive through Christ reconciliation. 
But today we're focused on the words on Christ. We're talking about what we build our lives upon, what we place our hopes upon. And so for the Christian, the foundation is Christ. And there are three glorious truths about this that I want you to notice this morning. First of all, Christians rest upon the finished work of Christ. Remember, Christ came into this world, he said, not to condemn the world, but what? Rather to save the world, to redeem the world. He came to provide redemption for fallen man, and thank God he finished the work that he came to do. That's described for us over in the book of Hebrews chapter number 10. When you get home, read those first 14 verses. And it describes how that he gave himself as a sacrifice. He finished the work and then he sat down at the right hand of God. Because everything that was needed had been provided through the Lord. And so through Christ, we can be redeemed and we can be reconciled. But it's all built upon the foundation of Christ. And before we we can benefit from all of the things that he came to provide, there's something that has to take place. John 16 and verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In other words, believing on Christ is our response to the provisions of Christ. Paul, that, that sounds so simple, right? In fact, to, the, to most people today, that seems too simple. In their mind, there's got to be something more than that to it. In, in their mind, surely we have to make some kind of a contribution, something that would uh, impress God, something that would appeal to God, something that would obligate God and cause God, as a result of that, to save us from the wrath to come and to take us home to his heaven. Well, it's simple, but it's simple because Christ made it simple. And it's all summed up in that word believe. If we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can believe a lot of things about Christ. You can believe that he was virgin born. You can believe he lived a virtuous life. You can believe that he died a vicarious death. You can believe that, that he was placed in the grave and rose visibly from the grave and ascended back to heaven. You can believe all of that in the sense of acknowledging it as a historical fact, but that doesn't save you. It's when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is when you are relying upon him. You see, the Jews made this mistake of trying to build their hopes upon their self-righteousness. And that's why Paul was so deeply concerned about them. In Romans chapter 10, in those first four verses, he expresses that desire and tells us that the problem with them was not whether they were religious or not or whether they believed in God. Their problem was they were depending upon what they did rather than what Christ does for their salvation and that's never good enough and you know we look at somebody like that and yet we think well you know they're not they're, they're not as bad as that other religious bunch over there we could name a lot of different religions today we could talk about the muslims for example and there's some folks that have the idea that the muslims are a whole lot worse 
than some of these so-called Christian denominations that fail to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, they're not one bit worse than any, uh, you, you name it. I could name a bunch of them. I don't have to. You know, they tell you you've got to join their church. You've got to get baptized. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. And that's the only way you can be saved. They're just as bad off as the Muslims are. And they're more dangerous, in fact, because some people, all you have to do is just add the name Christ to it. And they're so gullible, they'll think that's Christianity. That's not Christianity. Real Christianity comes from an understanding of who he is and what he has done, his person and his work. And not only understanding that, but basing all of your hopes upon that. And the real Christian depends upon nothing else than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we sing that great old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. A rock of ages, not the labor of my hands could fulfill thy law's demand. And all of these songs that speak about that. In Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, it says, Therefore, thus say, now remember, this is prophetic. This is like 700 years before Christ was born. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste, that is, give way or panic, because we know that we can rely upon him. He's the foundation. He is the solid rock. He is the cornerstone, the capstone. He is everything. Christ is all, because he's the only foundation that will sustain us, the only one that we can depend upon. And we as Christians rest on the finished work of Christ. We're not trusting in anything else other than the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the story doesn't end there. We're talking about, we're talking about on Christ. And that goes beyond the matter of salvation. Not only do we rest upon his finished work, but we rely upon his faithful words. You know, some people say, well, faith isn't anything but just a blind trust. It's just, you know, blindly taking a shot in the dark and hoping everything's going to turn out all right. But our hopes, our, our desires, our confidence is based upon God's Word. Notice verse 24 again. This gives you the context of what he's talking about. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. You see, the Lord is speaking about our attitude toward his Word. I love what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That word faithful means trusted. It means reliable. Paul says this is a reliable statement. This is a reliable fact that you can depend upon. Notice he says it's worthy. That word worthy speaks about weight. And what Paul is saying is that the word of God is something that we can rest all of our weight upon. We can cast all of our burdens upon the Lord. We can rely upon the word of God to do what it is promised to do. 
and he's given us these exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by these that we can overcome the world, that by these we can be partakers of that divine nature and become like the Lord Jesus Christ. You search through the Bible and over and over again, you find the Bible proving itself true in every every situation, every possible scenario, everything that you can imagine. That's why we sing that great old, old song, How Firm a Foundation, Ye Saints of the Lord, is laid for His faith in His excellent Word. And just like Abraham, remember Abraham said that he was fully persuaded that what God had promised that he's able to perform. Isn't it great during these trying times, these difficult days, during these times when our mind is filled with so many question marks, we wonder when is this going to end? What's going to be the bottom line? What will be the end result? Uh, when, when, when are we going to get back to normal? How will, we, how will we cope with this? Well, we have the Word of God to depend upon. We don't consider anything impossible because God's Word has assured us that with God, all things are possible. We rest upon His finished work. We rely upon His faithful Word, which never fails us. But thirdly, Christians restructure their lives upon the faultless will of Christ, upon His faultless will. Remember, the foundation isn't intended to be an end to itself. It's not the finished product. I mean, to just go out here and build a foundation, you know, what's, what good is that? You can brag about what a, what a wonderful foundation you have. But foundations are meant to be built upon, and according to this parable here, the person who builds his life upon Christ is one who conforms to the will of Christ. Isn't that what he said in verse 24? Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, notice, and doeth them. And uh, there's no evidence that we are resting on the finished work of Christ or relying upon the faithful words of Christ if we're not obedient to the will of Christ. You want your neighbor to believe that you're really a Christian? It's going to involve more than putting a track in his mailbox. It's going to involve more than sending him a Christian card at Christmas time. It's going to involve more than, than inviting him to church and, 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 and even talking to him about the Lord. It's going to involve your very manner of life. There has to be that evidence, and the real evidence, James makes it perfectly clear that if we're going to give any proof of our faith, there must be works. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved by a faith that does work. Amen. And salvation begins a process whereby our lives are restructured. Everything begins to change after we're saved. Now, when you get saved, some, some things never change. When God saved me, he never paid any of my bills, my gambling debts. He never paid any of those. He didn't take any of the scars off of my body. He didn't remove a single one of those when I got saved. All of that was the same. But let me tell you, everything else in my life began to change. It did not change automatically and overnight. 
I, you don't go from point A to, you know, to X, Y, and Z overnight. There's this period of growth, and the Bible speaks about this, growing, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that, we do that, and our life changes as a result of us relying upon his faithful word after we've rested upon the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19, the foundation of God standeth sure. In other words, he says, on Christ we have security. On Christ we have stability. Now listen, we might fall, but the foundation never does. The Bible says, if a just man, although he falls seven times, he shall not be utterly cast down. But the Lord shall raise him up. Why? Because our life is built on that firm foundation. We all fall to some extent at some time in our life. None of us live the life of Christ as perfectly as we should. None of us are anywhere near what Christ was. But there ought to be that continuous time of growth as our life is being restructured and changes. And as Paul said, we become a new creature in Christ Jesus. But those who have built their lives on other things, on the sinking, shifting sand of this world, will suffer great loss. Because let me tell you, there is a, a testing time for all of us. As Christians, our faith is put to the test. Peter elaborates on that. He goes into great detail talking about the trying of our faith and it works patience. And, and it's something that is a necessity in our lives as Christians. The testing is going to come. And notice that in this parable, he said the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Now stop there for just a minute. Both houses experienced exactly the same storms. Both of them did. But it says that one fell and one stood. How will it be with you? You know, the fellow that built his house on the sinking sand, the Bible doesn't give us any details, but he might have been able to look at his house and then look over at that fellow's house on the rock. And he might have said, look at this mansion I built. Why, it's far better than what you, you've just got a, you just got a shack over there. That, that doesn't even compare with what I've got. But if it's not on the right foundation, it doesn't matter one bit. And whether you're saved or lost, in this life, you're going, to, you're going to encounter trials and difficulties and things that, that will put you to the test. And the question is, how will it be with you? Because you're not going to be able to escape those things, even as a Christian. The very best Christian in this congregation cannot, will not escape trials there's no getting away from it you can't escape it but you can endure them why because you are building your life on a firm foundation amen, amen. what are you building your life on this morning 
Can you honestly look back at that time that you made a profession of faith and say, since that day, my life has been in this process of restructuring and God is taking away some stuff and God is adding stuff? Can you honestly say that there's evidence that my life is built upon Christ, the solid rock? In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42, it says, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Think about that. Back in Isaiah, we read that he is the chief cornerstone. He is the solid foundation. He's the one that we can depend upon. And yet, the Jews, having looked forward to the coming of the Messiah and knowing what Isaiah and the other prophets said about him, and now here Jesus suddenly appears on this earth, and through the evidence of his life of purity, proves that he is indeed the Son of God. It wasn't just the, just the miracles. It wasn't just the fact that they had to admit never a man spake like this man. We've never heard anything like this. They would all admit he stands head and shoulders above everyone else. And yet due to their sinful, proud heart, of, of implementing their self-righteousness into this matter. They rejected him. They were so determined that I'm going to base my salvation on what I do. I'm going to, I'm going to build my hopes upon the shifting sand of what I think is right. And he said, and great was the fall thereof. They rejected Christ, nailed him to the cross, ridiculed him. They would do the same today if he was here on this earth. But what will you do? What will you do? Oh, I know you don't have a hammer in your hand. I know you're not standing there at the cross. But when you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are just as guilty as the very people that denied him and nailed him to the cross. You're just as bad as they are. Because there's no such thing as you and I being neutral. He said, you're either for me or you are against me. Paul really put it all in perspective. And remember... In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church. This is an assembly of Christians. This is a congregation. And yet they, they have a lot of problems. They're very troubled. They're very imperfect. And so Paul is writing to help them. He speaks in the first part of chapter 3 about their immaturity. He said, oh, I, you know, I want to feed you with the, with the meat of God's Word, but I, I can't do that because you're just babes in Christ. There's been no spiritual development. And then he makes this statement. He says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now remember, he's writing here to professing Christians. To people who would say that I am resting all of my hopes upon the finished work of Christ. He's the one I'm depending upon. And yet they're stuck way back, way back there as babes in Christ. They've not, they've not matured spiritually. There's no restructuring of their life. They're just stuck where they are. 
Paul is basically telling them that you are wasting your life. You're building your life out of hay, wood, and stubble. Things that won't endure. Instead of the gold and the silver and the precious stone and you know, that will endure the testing of fire. You're just building everything on a faulty foundation. And you know, the, maybe the most heartbreaking thing about being a pastor is seeing people that you love, is seeing people that, that will spend their lives building upon a faulty foundation, and you see it. You're watching them. People that you care about deeply, people that you want to help, and they're building their, their life on a faulty foundation, and then one day you know that they're going to watch it all crumble beneath their feet. You know their life is going to end in bitter disappointment. I've got children. I've got children doing that very thing. I've got grandchildren doing that very thing. Building their lives on things that they think matters. And it doesn't matter. Because one of these days, regardless of what else they do, it's all going to crumble and fall. And even, listen, even if they're finally saved in the end, they'll have to look back upon all of those wasted years and live their life tormented by regret. Bev's grandfather was more like a grandfather to me than my own because I never saw one of my grandfathers. I, I, I saw the other one only, I think, either two or three times. He died there in the Veterans Hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. I never saw him. But Bev's grandpa was just like a grandpa to me. And uh, he was so dear to my heart, I'll never forget. And I know he had been praying for me. And the very first time I preached, boy, he showed up and he cried a bucket of tears and, and, and was my biggest supporter. He'd take me all around town and introduce me to everybody, you know, the, you know tell them I, I, I'm a preacher now. Because most of them knew what I had been. He was so proud of that. I'm, listen, I mentioned that because that same man would sit in his living room weeping, crying, tears of regret when he'd hear that song, Wasted Years, Oh, How Foolish. And there are a lot of people that we know and love that right now, they're wasting their life away and everything that they're doing is building a life upon a faulty foundation that can never provide the security, never provide the, the satisfaction that they're looking for in life. They're looking for something, but they'll never find it. You know, building your life, restructuring your life upon the reliable Word of God it's not only the best life that you could possibly live now, it's the only life that is of eternal value. And that's what Paul was trying to get across to those at Corinth. He said, you're building your life with hay and wood and stubble. and All of those things will just simply be burned up. 
And, and my prayer for you this morning is that you'll set your affection on things above, that you'll realize that you only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You, you only got one shot at it. Somebody said life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it one time, and it's all over. It's all over. Have you rested all of your hopes and all of your dreams, as it were, upon the finished work of Christ? Do you know today beyond any shadow of a doubt that you'd go to heaven if you died? I was so happy when I got the report back from Brother Kenneth and different ones that, that let us know that had four young people saved at camp. How thrilling that is. And if I'm not mistaken, some of them had already made a profession of faith. Am I wrong? Am I right? Maybe one. Would, wouldn't, wouldn't it be something horrible and terrible if that one had died the week before camp? They made a profession of faith. And the rest of us, you know, we look at their life and we say, boy, now there's a kid that's got it all together. He's been saved and he was baptized and he's in church. He's got it all together. And he's lost as a goose. There are a lot of folks that way today. But what about you? Just convincing other people that you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. You don't go to heaven based on your reputation. You go to heaven based on redemption. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Is your hopes and dreams, is your life all based upon what He did? And are you relying upon His faithful word for the direction you need in your life? And is your life being restructured according to the principles of this blessed old book I hold in my hand? If not... You need, to, you need to beg God this morning. By the way, you don't need to beg Him. All you need to do is just ask Him, Lord, I have fallen, I have failed, and I want to get my life back on track. Get me up. Get me going and help me to restructure my life where at the end I don't have to look back and with tears in my eyes and regret in my heart Think about all those wasted years. Make every minute count because you never know when it might be the very last one. Would you do that this morning? While we stand, our musicians are going to come. Tim's going to come. We're going to sing an invitation hymn this morning. Brother Kenneth will be here to meet you. If God's speaking to your heart about anything whatsoever, would you come? It might be that you don't want to talk to anyone. You just want to pray and be left alone. You come, and I promise nobody will bother you. You just do business with God. Father, bless your word now. Accomplish your will. We pray you'll defeat every enemy, break down every barrier, and give folks victory here in this service today and remind all of us of what a great Savior we have. For we beg it in his dear name. Amen. While we sing. Page number 433. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely Think about what you're saying. 
tonight let me mention this one thing tonight as I said we'll tell you the names of those four who trusted Christ as their Savior but I think it's noteworthy that three of those young people that were saved during camp ride the church van that Daniel brings them every week on that church van and uh, boy I, I, I tell you it pays it pays off when we do what we can to get folks under the sound of God's word amen Wear your camp t-shirts, amen, camp t-shirts. So good to see Brother John Weisenbaker and Diane back and recovered, and, uh, uh, and we're going to ask him to dismiss us in prayer this morning. 